Gotham Sound is your one-stop audio solution for microphones, mixers, recorders, podcasting, and wireless. Whether you're looking to rent or buy sound equipment, are working at a church, feature film, a television show, podcast, theater, or a student project, Gotham Sound is here to serve you. With a huge selection of new and used gear, it's your first stop before you buy. Gotham Sound has the pro audio you need to make your project sound true professional. Gotham has been around for 18 years perfecting pro audio. Visit us at GothamSound.com. Start your fragrance line and make money with BostonPerfumery.com. Design custom cologne or perfume using natural ingredients. Imagine 10% butterscotch, 20% sandalwood, and 70% vanilla dark. Choose any scents and any percentage from the Boston Perfumery Sun Chart, then name your custom fragrance. Visit bostonperfumery.com. Again, bostonperfumery.com. Everyone deserves a signature scent. It's the Messiah Community Radio Talk Show. This is Michael James Lauren, your host. We have a cognitive scientist with us. His name is Dr. Jim Davies. And the book is called Imagination, The Science of Your Mind's Greatest Power. And uh, sometimes we just go through the motions of life, but there's a whole world in there. And it's uh, our imagination that we have to reclaim. Uh, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. Our sponsors with over 90 years experience in developing audio electronics. Bayer Dynamics stands for innovative audio products with the highest sound quality and pioneering technology. Two business divisions, consumer and installation, provide tailored solutions for professional and private users. All products are developed in Germany and primarily manufactured by hand. From headphones to microphones and conference and interpretation systems. For more information, please visit north-america.bayerdynamic.com. And by Vocal Booth To Go carries a complete line of products and accessories specifically designed for voiceover actors, audio professionals, podcasters, producers, and studio owners to help them get professional results for their clients. It's your go-to place for sound treatment, soundproofing, portable, and mobile vocal booths. Visit VocalBoothToGo.com for more information. And Oralex Acoustics has one mission to make you sound your best. Thousands of satisfied Oralex customers have experienced improved acoustics along with free expert advice, total sound control products from Oralex. Enjoy widespread use among prominent artists, producers, engineers, and corporations worldwide. Remember, it's not your gear, it's the room. Visit Oralex.com for more information. And great audio starts with great gear. And Zoom's 30-year reputation promises quality and affordability. Visit zoom-na.com today for recorders, audio interfaces, effects pedals, and more. We're Zoom, and we're for creators. So I think about school, you know, going back, milk and cookie mm -hmm. hour, uh, still do that. But when it comes to imagination, uh, somewhere things have been dulled a bit, you know, as an adult. And uh, your book is fascinating. It deals with science and the mind and uh, really getting us under the microscope, if you will. Um, tell us about imagination. Why does that mean so much to you? Why did you write a book about it? Well, I'm a cognitive scientist looking at the how the mind works kind of from an information processing perspective. So what that means is that I kind of look at the mind as though it were a computer program. So I might um, think about the information and how it gets manipulated. 
And imagination is taking elements from your memory and uh, recombining them and creating virtual scenarios in your head that you can reason about and think about and feel things about. And it's so pervasive in so many of the different things that we did. Uh, no one had really written a popular book on imagination. So um, I spent about four years reading about all the different research on imagination and uh, wrote the book. Yeah, I mean, it's it's riveting because we don't know our minds. I mean, sometimes I feel bad. I look at the sky at night. I look at the moon, the stars, and I think I have such a stunted imagination that we should be like soaring, right? Thinking about what's possibly out there. Um, and uh, what in the end does your book accomplish with a lot of people who, do they tell you that they've they lost their imagination as they got older? You know, I don't, I don't really actually hear that very much. And I think when people say things like that, they're really talking about creativity mm. and you know, there is a difference, you know, imagination is the, is, you know, generating scenarios in your head and that might not be creative at all. So if you can, you know, vividly imagine, you know, a, a Christmas when you were a kid, that's using your imagination. Um, you, you know, the, the picturing things in your head and being able to formulate ideas, they don't even need to be particularly new and interesting to be imagination. Um, I also want to address this, what I think is a myth that kids are really super creative. I don't think that they are. <laughs> uh, I mean, if you think about um, like what kids are, they're unconstrained. They're uninhibited, right? So they're not afraid to make a drawing that, you know, uh, they're not really worried about what other people are going to think before they're about five years old or something. Uh, and we kind of envy that. But when you think about it, of all the greatest acts of creativity uh, that you can think of, I don't know if it's Lord of the Rings or Beethoven's Ninth or whatever it is. Not a single one of them was created by a child. Mm, that's Creativity, a good point. you know, <laughs> kids are good at the generation of random stuff. And you might think, oh my gosh, I've never, I would never have thought of that. But they're not good at honing something for an audience so that it's particularly valuable, which is a very important part of creativity in the real world. So, you know, when you've got a, um, uh, somebody working as a, you know, a manager at a big company or whatever, they might, bemoan the fact that they don't, you know, set up a fort and pretend that they're a knight anymore, but they might be coming up with really creative solutions to problems in their business, you know? It seems like you need imagination. Is it correct to, to succeed in the world? I mean, can you have a good life with uh, just a stunted imagination or is it always the ones kind of like that Steve Jobs, what is it, that, that Apple commercial, you know, the, the people who change things, that look at things in a different way. And again, I don't want to mix creativity with imagination, but it takes having some vision, doesn't it, and to, to live a great life? Yeah, I think that it does. Um, but it's very hard to say that somebody has more or less imagination. You can't say they have more or less creativity. That is true. Um, but imagination, everyone's got imagination. Um, now, people differ in imagery, which is the ability to have pictures in your head or to be able to hear sounds in your head. Um, now, many people in your audience, some of them might think, well, of course, everyone has pictures in their head. And other people in your audience are saying, wait a minute, some people have pictures in their head <laughs> because um, <laughs> not everyone can actually form an image in their head that is like seeing, okay? But everyone can imagine situations. Like if you take a, a person who's been blind since birth, they can imagine their house. I mean, they can imagine, oh yeah, I must have left my keys there because blah, blah, blah. Even though they may never have seen their house because they've been blind their entire life, they can still create like a spatial bit of imagination. So um, when you say like some people who have less imagination, um, nobody's really come up with a way to actually characterize what that even means. Hmm. 
Well, let me ask you, Dr. Davies, how do you define imagination? How do most people define it? Well, people, most people, when they use the word imagination, they're either talking about mental imagery, which is just picturing something in your head. Like if I tell you to picture a triangle in your head as vividly as you can, that's imagination. Uh, Or they mean creativity when they say like, I have no imagination or he has a great imagination. Uh, The way I, I mean, those are fine and words don't really have, you know, we, we can make them mean what we want. But in my book, when I talk about imagination, I talk about the generation of something uh, in your mind uh, that is, you know, recombinations of things from your memories. Um, and, you know, sometimes that's creative and sometimes it's not. You can do creative things without using your imagination too. Um, but, you know, whenever you like are even planning, you know, you and your spouse are planning on like uh, the order of who's going to do what. Uh, that's using your imagination because you're coming up with a possible future and, and evaluating it in your head. When you think about your book and all the research that went into it, how do you bring it down to that single kernel? In other words, the, the, the crux of the matter, what did you come away with? Well, I think that one of the most surprising things about imagination that I didn't really appreciate before I started the research is that um, people talk about it like it's uh, a completely good thing, but Imagination is also the source of a lot of um, mental disorders like anxiety and post-traumatic stress disorder and and worrying. And a lot of people think uh, about the future in ways that are very, uh, that cause them a lot of problems, or they might ruminate about the past. They might think about things in the past that they regret or better times that they've had. And these are problems that other animals are blessed not to have, frankly. <laughs> and, it's, and it's really, imagination fuels the whole thing. So, um, and also the way you use your imagination can make you a better or worse person, or it can make you um, uh, be happier or sadder, you know. So imagination is, is a tool in your mind, like many other things, like uh, problem solving and classification. All of these things you have in your mind are tools that aren't good or bad until they are applied to something, uh, you know, and they can be, the result can be good or bad, depending on what you use it for, like any tool. I thought it was kind of a catalyst, the Graceland album with uh, Paul (laughs) Simon. And did this not trigger something in you where you heard the, what was that song? The Boy Boy in the Bubble? Yeah, yeah, The Boy in the Bubble. What did that do for you when you heard that song? It it somehow uh, made you think of images, uh, times a thousand, and I know that song from Graceland, but uh, you talk about it in your book. Can you explain about that? Yeah. So I talk about using imagination to help me remember the lyrics to that song. So what I've done was um, I created what's called a memory palace, which is invented by the ancient Greeks. But what you do is you imagine a place you know very well. Usually people do their childhood home or something. And you imagine walking through it the same way every time. So you look in the same places, you go from room to room in the same order. And what you can do is in your imagination, you place objects that remind you of things that you need to remember. So for example, Boy in the Bubbles, the first song on that album, and I have the whole album memorized uh, because I've placed images Hmm. uh, in different locations in uh, a a home that my parents live in, one of the the homes that they live in. So um, I have a boy in a big plastic bubble on on a boat going off to this island. And then I imagine like a telescope and, and, uh, and sand blowing on somebody in different locations. And when I walk through and I look at the image, I say, oh, yes, that's the next lyric. So now I can sing the whole album to myself by walking through in my mind's eye 
and looking at the images that I've stored in the different locations. How important is science when it comes to us understanding ourselves? You know, we seem to think, oh, you know, we rely, I don't know, do we rely on other means and methods for understanding? We don't seem to turn to science. Oh, yeah, and that's a big mistake. (laughs) (laughs) It's unfortunate that when people think of uh, the mind, they often don't realize that it can be studied with science. People think of science usually in terms of like chemistry and geology and that kind of thing. But, um, and they just or don't, bad, they haven't really MTV thought about video. it. Hmm? <laughs> or that bad MTV video, you know, he blinded me with, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my favorite songs of all time. Actually. <laughs> um, but, uh, sci- you know, psychologists have come up with very, they've had to come up with very clever ways of studying the mind because it's so hard to do. Um, but a lot of people, you know, I hear people just casually say, oh, well, you can't measure happiness. I'm like, why do you say that? I mean, th- there's an entire... Uh, you know, a, a big community of scientists that study happiness for their entire lives, scientifically, you know. So, I, you know, I, I, I have this problem with journalists. Sometimes they'll just, you know, pontificate and <laughs> they'll merely assert things. And they won't even realize that there is science uh, that could speak to what they're saying. Mm. See, that's what I'm saying. I think that, and, and you know what's interesting, if you don't mind, and this is not a political show, okay? <laughs> but I, I can't help but think, right, with what's happening with uh, COVID-19 and the kind of um, tension, right, between uh, President Trump and some of the people uh, and Dr. Fauci, who believes uh. in science. And he has to say over and over again that I'm not asserting anything. I don't have an agenda I'm just looking this impartially with science. And, and the people seem to embrace that. Yeah, and that's really good. I hope that it stays like that um, because uh, what can happen is that if a issue that is scientific becomes politicized, then um, everything sort of goes out the window. And that kind of happened with climate change. Um, people mm, before about 2010, if they, the more they knew about science, the more they believed in climate change. After 2010, it became politicized. That's no longer true. And now what predicts people's opinion of climate change is their political persuasion, not how much science they know. So we're already starting to see some aspects of the pandemic becoming politicized Mm -hmm. because both sides of the political agenda are going to try to implement solutions that come from their value system. And the other side will see it in a negative light. They'll think it as, oh, it's there. They're using it as an opportunity to grab power or to push their political agenda. Uh, and, and that's a real shame when we're facing a real problem. Um, so, you know, I do respect people who try to stay out of the, um, you know, the, the politics of, uh, and try to, and the politicization of it and uh, stick to, you know, what we, what we can find with science. Yeah. The other thing is the temperament of a scientist like Dr. Fauci and maybe your temperament as well. You'll notice that the people who are the scientists are calm. <laughs> they're they're level-headed they're balanced and it, the other people who have an agenda lose their temper easily <laughs> yeah i mean i'm not i can't say that all scientists are level-headed but um <laughs> i will say that they are trained in an environment where if you don't appear level-headed people will think that you're you don't know what you're talking about right. so we are tra- you know and in politics it's not so like if you're yelling and if you, you know people will sometimes see that your conviction as a sign of authenticity or something that doesn't wash in science at all. (laughs) You can't like, you can't give a scientific talk and shout at people, you know, with, with extreme certainty you'll just, nobody will believe you, you know? 
Well, we're going to be back with uh, Dr. Jim Davies. His book is called Imagination. We're going to learn a lot more about what happens when you improve your imagination and other kind of questions we can come with right after this. Sennheiser has been continuously setting trends in the audio industry. Wherever people care passionately about recording, transmitting, or playing sound, Sennheiser will be there. Artists, disc jockeys, scientists, sound technicians, or demanding music lovers, the Sennheiser name always stands for premium products, headphones, microphones, and all-around audio solutions. The ultimate in sound quality. Sennheiser. The world and everything in it delivers sound journalism grounded in God's Word through a daily 30-minute podcast. From essential headlines to feature stories to international news straight from the field, after only one or two listens, you'll wonder how you got through your daily routine without it. Listen anywhere you typically enjoy podcasts or by going to wng.org slash podcast. Charlotte Christian College and Theological Seminary believes that every Christian has a distinct calling and that he or she must boldly respond to that call. Charlotte Christian specializes in equipping the adult learner and all degrees are available both online and on campus. Degree fields include urban Christian ministry, biblical studies, pastoral studies, and more. So whether you are called to full-time ministry or as a co-vocational minister, Charlotte Christian can help you. Visit us at charlottechristian.edu or call 704-334-6882. Hey everyone, Athena Dean Holtz with Redemption Press here. Are you a coach, pastor, blogger, small group leader, thought leader, ministry, or industry professional with a message that could benefit others? If so, we'd love to help you produce a professional book that can open new doors and be an impact to other people's lives. We'd love to hear about your idea and see how we can help with our personalized writing coaches and professional editorial team. Visit redemption-press.com. All right, we're back with Dr. Jim Davies and the book, Imagination, The Science of Your Mind's Greatest Power. And uh, if we could only understand ourselves better with our imagination, uh, I wonder what would happen. Let's find out. So uh, what would happen if we improved uh, our imagination? So a cut there. So again, we're going to have to split up what imagination means to be able to answer that. If you're talking merely about creativity, then an increase in imagination is great. So increasing your creativity, um, I've seen no bad effects of that. Um, you know, ways to improve your creativity. One is that you can just expose yourself to more ideas and ways of thinking. Uh, if you're an artist, you should like study all different kinds of art and that kind of thing, because imagination and creativity is recombinate re recombining things from your memories in different and interesting ways. You can also practice creativity. You can practice being creative, even though each act of creativity is new in some sense. If you are in the habit of doing creative acts, your mind gets used to it and you can help with it. Now, if we're talking about imagination, like picturing things in your head, there is no evidence that that can get better. And it declines with age, unfortunately. Mm. And um, now, you're, now think, you're totally ruining my day. Yeah, isn't that so, well, I was very disappointed, but I, I, I have to tell you, I searched very, very hard. And, and the reason I searched so hard is not because I, I really wanted it to be true, but because it's actually kind of rare in human psychology that doing something over and over again doesn't make you better at it. Like, hmm. that's, that's the norm, really. But it appears that for mental imagery, to make it more vivid, 
uh, there's, there doesn't appear to be any good evidence that you can actually make it better. So one theory of why that might be is that the parts of your brain that, that in, are involved with the vividness of imagery are actually kind of low level. What I mean by that is they're kind of close to the eyes in terms of the processing and your, your, your conscious mind and your, the cortex and your learning actually can't reach that far back. So all the learning that it, it can do doesn't really affect the early areas. So, um, yeah, making vivid images doesn't seem to be able to get better, but that's really not even all that important. People who have no imagery at all, people who have no vividness, they can't picture things in their head, they can't hear sounds in their head, um, they, they, they don't suffer at all in the real world. You know, they, they're creative, they can do whatever. That's interesting. I think maybe we're a brainwash. You know, you see, maybe I've been watching too many documentaries on Netflix that talk about uh, creativity and that you need it and all that type of thing. But, um, you know, I'm going to stick with your uh, rendition of things. And uh, speaking of which, Dr. Davies, like, how do you spend your time as a, you're a professor, of course, a cognitive scientist? What mm. kind of research goes into this? Uh, what would be a typical day when you research imagination from a scientific perspective? Well, I have a lab, so I'm a, I have graduate students, PhD students, and master's students, and a lot of my scientific research is through them. So I manage them, and I help them pick a project and, and follow through on it, and then we publish it together. Uh, so I have a student who, um, we just published a paper that is the first uh, neural computer model of imagery and mental rotation and stuff. So when you picture like a cube in your head and rotate it around, we made a computer model of the brain that sort of simulates how that works. That's just, that's a one example. So we, I have lab meetings and I write papers and talk to students and that kind of thing. Yeah. Cause you do this amazing stuff and you're minimizing. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's pretty wild. This is not like uh, you know, no offense, like, you know, like a cashier at CVS. I mean, you're doing groundbreaking type of stuff here. And uh, I think a lot of people would love to know, you know, what the, the life of a, cognitive scientists and and how you come to these okay well i can i can say like if you really want to know like what i do during the day uh i get up at about 5 30 in the morning mm. and i make a cup of vietnamese coffee and i work for um about three two two hours maybe writing writing books so i like writing books like this imagination book uh so i write for about two hours a day uh have some breakfast and then for the rest of the day I'm doing things like reading papers and talking to grad students in meetings. Um, uh, I teach classes. I have to deal with student issues. I teach a class with um, over a thousand people in it, actually. Wow. So, um, you know, I've got to manage like seven teaching assistants for that. And, uh, and then there's a, you know, administrative stuff, but basically I'm, I'm a teacher and I'm a scientist and I do a little bit of administration. And uh, that's what makes up my day, and I wouldn't have it any other way. I love yes. it. Yes. I'm glad you said that. I want to add that you like the Beastie Boys, too. Can we say that? I love Beastie Boys. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't expect it, but I mean, then again, <laughs> imagination, you know? And uh, you're, you actually, I just want to set it up, though. I think it's interesting. You're a playwright. Are you not? Mm. I mean, I don't know how many cognitive scientists that kind of stick in one, I don't know, one lane, but you've been in theater and uh, a playwright, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's right. And uh, I, I write fiction. Um, I have a serialized fantasy fiction that's published online every month. And um, uh, yeah, I have a very creative life. I mean, part of what got me into this, you know, my first book was about why we find things interesting. And that was that was born out of um, 
uh, you know, being trained in the arts and at the same time being trained in science. And a lot of the things that the, they would say in the arts, I thought to myself, well, this could be scientifically tested, you know. <laughs> uh, but, you know, painters and, and play, play directors, they don't really have the tools to conduct scientific experiments. They just sort of learn, learn their craft and, and sort of see what works and just kind of wing it. Um, and then, you know, so that was my first book called Riveted about why, why things are compelling to us. And, uh, you know, that sort of led naturally into, you know, the, the nature of creativity and imagination. And there are many, many books on creativity out there, but uh, mine's really the only popular science book on imagination that there is. It seems like we'd like to have what other people have. It, it doesn't matter, imagination or creativity. It just give me some of that, you know, and you, you see someone who's, uh, I don't know, excelling. And uh, that's why I mentioned that sometimes. I, sometimes it feels like we stay in a relatively stunted growth area. And then we look at people who are artists or uh, have that mixture of creativity, imagination. It seems like they have a better life. Maybe we get jealous about that sort of thing. But um, <laughs> now when it comes to uh, selfishly, again, uh, COVID-19, does your mind begin to think about imagination and where we are and how people are going to rise above that? Or is that all creativity? How are we going to get through this? Or where does imagination come into play there? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think that like coming up with creative solutions to problems certainly requires imagination. Um, uh, there has been some evidence, I think, that people's dreams have been a little bit stranger. Um, mm. You know, and that's a part of imagination too. Um, uh, also, you know, people who are stuck in their homes might be relying more on their imagination uh, to uh, help deal with it. For example, like when you read a novel, for example. Uh, that is a profound act of imagination. Now, everyone knows that writing a novel requires imagination, but reading a novel, being able to even understand what is being, what is happening in the novel requires you to create mental models of the fictional world. You know, not everything is spelled out. You got to infer things. Uh, uh, and, and, and so if people are reading more and, uh, you know, that, that's a more imagination as well. Now, what are some areas that we had to kind of break down your book and you gave us that guided tour? Where would you take us when it comes to like, uh, let's just say aisle five of the supermarket or just mm -hmm. going through the lanes of your book? Uh, where would you take our, uh, our audience and, and the readers when they open up your book, Imagination? Sure. So um, it's broken up into chapters that I thought were kind of the major aspects of imagination, uh, things that people really care about. So one of them is dreaming. Uh, people care a lot about dreaming, so I uh, you know, did a survey of the research on that. I also talk about childhood imaginary friends and its relationship to fictional characters of various kinds. Uh, I'm writing a paper now about actually why um, why certain imagined characters appear to be autonomous and others don't. Like your dream characters, you don't feel like you're in control of them. Um, but if you're imagining um, going to the store, you, you're sort of in control of what your imagined cashier will do. So that's kind of a mystery. So that's something I'm working mm. on now. Um, I'll talk about imagining the future, right? So this is one of the major uses of imagination, and many animals can't do this. But we can like, think about the future and what we might do and what might happen, and uh, rather than just having to try it in the real world and potentially get ourselves killed or something, we can actually test drive ideas of the future. And, uh, you know, how imagination affects your emotions. Uh, and then finally, I conclude the book with 
more of a cognitive science look at how imagination works from sort of start to finish uh, when you're um, inspired to think of something, what goes on in your head that, you know, ends up with an imagined scenario or something like that. Forgive me if I'm wrong, Dr. Davies, and maybe you do this in your class, but I'm going back to kindergarten. And if I'm not mistaken, other than milk and cookie hour, that they had like imagination time. I'm pretty sure they had that where, you know, for like a, a half an hour that you had to just use your imagination and they wanted oh, you to do that. I don't think I had that. Um, there was a lot of just free, free play time. Were but, we um, in the same class, you and I? No, I'm just... <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's interesting. If, you mean you would just be told to sit there looking out into space just imagining yes. stuff? and just imagine. And whether you'd have finger paints or something, but to just use your imagination and... And I remember that it was just they, you know, and I think of, well, Mr. Rogers, we actually had someone on talking about, you know, the biography of Mr. Rogers, but uh, the moments where he said, you just take out of the day just to, you know, maybe just imagine or just think and reflect. Um, oh, yeah. But it seems like that was something that happened early. Uh, and what if we did that every day? What if we, we just t- took a moment, uh, people do it when they work out, for an hour or so, uh, if we were little what, imaginers, <laughs> uh, what, and we were little scientists, what are some of the things that we could do? You know, think about imagination. What would happen to our, our brains? I, hopefully they wouldn't explode. I don't think there would be, I, I mean, again, it, it matters what you're imagining. Because if you ask some people to sit there and just imagine for half an hour, they're just going to worry, mm. you know? They're going <laughs> to They're going to think about like, oh God, how am I going to, pay this bill or like, boy, I really screwed that up or, um, you know, try to make sense of a vague sense of dread. Um, Mm. So, you know, I don't really think that asking someone to just sit there and imagine without any guidance is going to help anybody. I mean, some people are going to (laughs) naturally come up with good stuff and some people are just going to go down dark roads, you know, like a lot of people have are very, they they really suffer from like a, a, a negative voice in their head or dark thoughts. And, you know, being alone with their thoughts is actually really unpleasant. Um, so, when I, you know, I think that if people are doing, um, putting themselves kind of through a meditation of maybe something that is deliberately pleasant or in a, uh, pleasantly creative, um, then that might be something that's enjoyable. They might improve their creativity. So if you sit and listen to some music and try to imagine a music video for the song you're listening to, right, and try to you know, and just maybe listen to the song three or four times and just make the video better and better in your head. Now that's a, that's practicing a creative act. It's also using your imagination at the same time, but it's focused enough that you might not veer off into like, you know, worrying if you chose the right career or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, how much, I mean, you, you can tell scientifically, what is the number uh, in our brains? How much of our imagination do we use? What's the figure? There's a very common question of how much of our brain do we use? And the answer to that is all of it. So there's a real myth out there that we only use like a small percentage of our brain. That's absolutely ridiculous. Really? Oh, yeah. Evolution would never waste energy making 90, like 90% of a huge organ that uses a fifth of, of the calories we consume for no reason that nobody uses. <laughs> People like, have really been sold that. They've been told that you use 10% of your brain. Yeah, that's that's absolutely false. Like, um, uh, if you do a brain scan, 
like everything is active all the time. Like there's nothing that's not being used, right? Um, and we also know what, I mean, you can point to any part of the brain and we can tell you what function it has. So anatomically, it's not like, like, well, we got like these five brain areas that aren't doing anything. If only people could figure out how to use them. You know, um, evolution doesn't work like that. Like when you, uh, evolution is ruthless in, in, in making things efficient. Uh, and the brain uses like one out of every five bites of food you take, the brain takes. And the brain is like 4% of your body mass, but it takes a fifth of the food. Uh, and it wouldn't do that for nothing, right? Because uh, our ancestors just would have died. Hmm. And our heads are so big that women die in childbirth. This is something that other animals don't really do. It's, that's how important our big brains were. And that just wouldn't happen if we didn't use 90% of it. Now, how much of our brain is used in imagination? That's, that answer is also everything. <laughs> and hmm. I'll tell you why. It's for a really good reason. Imagination can involve every part of your brain because you can imagine just about anything. So let me just give you an example. There's a language part of your brain, okay? But you can imagine people speaking languages. You can imagine having a conversation with somebody. So that would recruit the language parts of your brain, okay? You can imagine visual things. You can imagine auditory things. You can imagine touching things. You can have uh, sexual imagery. You can have uh, warlike imagery. You can have um, artistic imagery. You can problem solve in your imagination. Anything that you can do in the real world, you can do in your imagination. Therefore, all of the brain can get recruited for different kinds of imagination. Now, if you imagine playing tennis, if I, if I ask you to imagine like um, a triangle. That's my favorite, su- favorite uh, sport. Okay, well, well, this is interesting <laughs> because we've actually, scientists have, I say we, like I, I take any credit for it, but <laughs> scientists have actually figured out how to tell who's conscious um, if they, you know, people who can't move their body in the hospital. Sometimes we used to assume that they're not conscious. Now we can put, a, put them in a brain scanner and just say to them, even though they can't talk back, hey, listen, I want you right now to think about playing tennis. And then, you know, a minute later say, okay, now I want you to think about um, talking. And we can tell that they're conscious because their brains behave differently depending on what we tell them to do. So we can actually communicate with these people by reading their brains. So we can say, all right, look, I'm going to ask you, do you want, are you hungry? Think about tennis if the answer is yes. And think about, um, you know, uh, I don't know, saying hello if, if the answer is no. And then we can find out if they're hungry just by reading their brain scans. That's really amazing. I, I hear things about, you know, don't ever under, you know, underestimate if someone is, um, I don't know, should I say in a coma or just out of it in the, in a hospital and you try to talk to them, it doesn't seem like they could understand, but they, they can when you say things to them. Well, sometimes they can and sometimes they can't. And, 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 it, and, and these brain scans are one of the ways that we are being able to tell whether they can actually understand what we're saying or not. Because there, there is a syndrome called locked-in syndrome, and Metallica made a song about it, but like where basically you can think just fine, you can hear just fine, but you can't move any part of your body. In fact, there's a whole a book called The Diving Bell and the Butterfly written by um, somebody who was locked in except they could twitch their eyelid. And they, and they basically dictated the entire book kind of in some kind of a Morse code thing by twitching their eyelid. Really? But then there's some people who their, their bodies aren't moving and there's, no, there's nothing going on inside. Um, and so we are 
it's very important that we figure out how to tell which one's which. <laughs> Dr. Jim Davies is our special guest, and he's a cognitive scientist. We don't have many of those on our program, that's for sure. But amazing, you know, I, I love your book, Imagination. It's called The Science of Your Mind's Greatest Power uh, because it gives me a chance to actually understand my own brain and, and the way that you break it down. I, th I figured I'm going to have a hard time understanding this, um, but you, you made it very palatable. Uh, we'll be back with Dr. Jim Davies in just a bit. He's going to take us places where maybe we've never been before as we learn about imagination and how it affects relationships, sex, careers, and a whole bunch more right after this. God has designed you for a unique purpose. Get equipped for God's call with a degree from Clark Summit University. Choose from undergraduate and master's degrees available completely online in programs like business, counseling, Bible, and education. For some programs, it's possible to earn your degree in as little as two years, or you can complete the degree you previously started. See if you qualify for a tuition discount. Answer God's call on your life and become a Christ-centered, career-ready graduate. Go to clarksummitu.edu slash podcast. That's clarksummitu.edu slash podcast. Christians in Action Missions International is actively accepting applications from those desiring to win the lost at any cost. We've been sending long-term missionaries throughout the world for 62 years. We emphasize intentional personal evangelism, equipping disciples, and planting churches among the nations. We empower national leadership to demonstrate and declare the love of God to the unreached. Journey with us as we take the gospel to the world. Log on at cinami.org. Org. That's CINAMI.org or call 559-370-4103. Every day, over three and a half million children walk, bike, and ride to a Christian school every day. But many of our schools are in danger of closing. Our Christian schools are too important to our children, to our families, and to our nation to let that happen. Christian School Management at christianschoolmanagement.org is dedicated to the health of our Christian schools. Contact christianschoolmanagement.org to help your Christian school fill and stay filled with children impacting our nation. All right, back with Dr. Jim Davies and his book, Imagination, The Science of Your Mind's Greatest Power. Uh, do we know it, it's our mind's greatest power? Or do we think of just you know, what's for lunch? Where do we park? We, maybe we don't think that, that big. Yeah, you know, my mind's greatest power is a little bit of a hyperbole. Um, but um, imagination <laughs> is one of the things that uh, makes humans special, like compared to the other animals, for example. In those areas, relationships, sex, uh, careers, um, I can't read my own writing here. I had something else. <laughs> and, and even God, can, does that help uh, as far as our, our understanding, or how does it affect those areas? Well, um, re religiously, um, you know, there are, um, there are uh, people who train, train themselves to be able to see uh, divine entities. Um, so. Uh, you know, you, people of many religions have had uh, reports of revelations, of visual revelations, okay? Um, and often, if it's your religion, you think it's a revelation. If it's somebody else's religion, you think it's a hallucination. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Um, but, uh, but, even, but even within a religion, um, they, they take great pains to try to figure out whether the experience you had was, say, God or not. 
so let's just say it's a it's a Christian um, religion. Somebody might hear a voice in their head. Okay, well that they might go to their religious community and say, well, they, well, what did the voice say? What did it sound like? And they will try to figure out whether it's God or not based on what it said. Basically, if it if if it's saying you should kill yourself and everyone you know. They're, well, that can't be God because that's not something God would say. But if it's if it's some message of love or whatever, then they might interpret that as a um, uh, as actually a divine being. And and there are uh, cultural practices where they engage in imagination over and over again um, and and vivid imagery and eventually um, have either hallucinations or divine um, experiences, depending on you know, your religious uh, interpretation of those events. Just out of curiosity, if someone comes to you and they say, I want to be a cognitive scientist, what, what are some of the things do you, do you um, try to dissuade them from becoming one? Or, or do you say <laughs> that, you know, here's the litmus test kit. If you want to be a cognitive scientist, what do you usually tell? I mean, they have to be into what? Well, cognitive science is um, one of the, one of the key things about it is that it's interdisciplinary. Um, it's a mixture of psychology, philosophy, computer science, anthropology, linguistics, and neuroscience. So one of the things that attracted me to it was that it was interdisciplinary. I liked computers. I liked the mind. I loved. I majored in philosophy. And it was uh, a, a discipline that was made up of a whole bunch of other disciplines. And, and the idea is that the mind is so complex that it's, not, it's just too big for one discipline. And it, it helps different points of view and different... Uh, ontologies and ways of thinking about it. Uh, and I say, you know, to young people, because I talk to a lot of young people as a professor, I think that cognitive science is a great thing to study. Um, and not, you know, even if you don't want to become a cognitive scientist, you get a whole lot of skills that um, people could really, uh, people really use in the world, you know. But if they want to be a scientist, they actually want to be a cognitive scientist, they have to get a graduate degree like a master's or a PhD and learn, you know, get the training to actually conduct scientific research. I, I like daydreaming. Does that count? My wife tells me, well, never mind. You have to be maybe a little younger. You get started with the sciences and so forth. But I like the fact that you have such an eclectic background, again, uh, you know, with arts, uh, you're a playwright, uh, and you like that marriage. Did it help in writing your book uh, as far as putting together arts and science? Again, you talked about popular culture and music as well. Uh, how did that fulfill, you know, how was that fulfilling for you? Well, um, my multiple interests help in that I'm able to, one of my skills as a scientist, I think, is the ability to read very widely and bring together ideas that are separate in the literature. Um, uh, so for example, you know, the things about religion and art, uh, you know, the people who do the, there's a psychology of art and there's a psychology of religion, but they go to different conferences, they write in different journals, they don't really know what the other ones are doing. And so it takes someone like me to read both of the literatures and then, you know, maybe put in a book. It's like, Hey, look, these things are going on in our minds the, you know, what we know about the mind can explain both uh, some, some religious behaviors as well as artistic and that kind of thing. I think that's one of, my, one of the things I'm, I'm good at. And just between you and I, Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook, he never tried to recruit you or anything like that? <laughs> no, <laughs> okay. Facebook hasn't recruited me, no. <laughs> I mean, what would they do with a cognitive scientist? I bet you a lot. You know, oh, you yeah, consider, totally. yeah. I mean, they, all of those big companies have major um, 
you know, psychology and behavioral science and human computer interaction specialists, you're, you know, when every time you search the web, you are actually participating in experiments you don't even know you are. Yeah, I hear about that. And that's scary. That's very, you know. Well, usually it's pretty benign. It's like, do we make the, do we make this button red or brown? And who's going to click it more? So it's not like you're going to get scarred for that. <laughs> and, and do we have imaginary friends on social media? Speaking of using your imagination. Right. So, you know, you might be, you know, friend loosely speaking, you might be friends on Facebook or something with a bot, um, a, a basically very simple artificial intelligence program that, uh, you know, tries to respond to you or something like that. I, you know, I, that usually doesn't get classified as an imaginary friend because it's, it's more like an illusion. It's something in the world that you are mistaking for a person, but it's, is actually um, some other entity. Um, imaginary friends are usually reserved for beings that exist only in your imagination, not in, uh, in any software or anything like that. Uh, children, many children have uh, imaginary friends. They're called imaginary companions uh, in science. Um, and uh, they sometimes keep them, you know, maybe up until they're 17 years old. They usually don't talk about it. Um, <laughs> Boy, 17? Sometimes, yeah. Um, wow. The thing is that in our, in our culture, p- parents think that it's a little weird if they still have imaginary friends after age eight. So um, people, they, kids end up just being quiet about them. They just learn not to talk about them, but they're still there. Yeah, when you mentioned that movie, Bot, uh, what was it, uh, about the bots, I thought of that movie, Her? Mm-hmm. With uh, Joaquin Phoenix. That was, that was wild. But anyhow. Yeah. Yeah. Great movie. Well, we've learned a lot. Our special guest, Dr. Jim Davies, and his book, Imagination, the Science of Your Mind's Greatest Power. Uh, if you have a fascination about your mind and how it works, and uh, he breaks the subject down so you can understand it. And if you like what you're hearing right now, of course, you can get his book once again, Imagination, the Science of Your Mind's Greatest Power, and uh, jimdavies.org. And uh, I mentioned Amazon, too. Is that right? They could buy the book? It is on Amazon, yeah. And as far as your future, when you, when you think about the world we're living in, again, COVID-19, uh, what would you tell our, our audience when it comes to imagination? Can it help us get through this? It can help, yep. But uh, it also is important that you uh, don't let it hurt you, too. And um, so one of the things is if you think about um, achieving your goals, it can, um, it can actually make you less likely to achieve your goal. So you should think about how you're going to achieve your goal. You should picture what you're going to do to achieve your goals instead of fantasizing about goal achievement. And, you know, so if you, if you think about how you're going to get through difficult times, what you're going to do to get through it, uh, you can use your imagination to help you through it. And could you give us just a hint of this next book? Are you writing another book? Because you're always, you're always writing. Uh, do you mm-hmm. have another topic in mind? Yeah. My, um, it's about the science of how to be maximally productive, happy, and moral. Really? Yes. Well, you're going to have to come back for that one. We'd love to have I you. I would love uh, to. Thanks for being on the program. Thank you. I appreciate that. Our sponsors with over 90 years experience in developing audio electronics, Bayer Dynamics stands for innovative audio products with the highest sound quality and pioneering technology. Two business divisions, consumer and installation, provide tailored solutions for professional and private users. All products are developed in Germany and primarily manufactured by hand. From headphones to microphones and conference and interpretation systems. For more information, please visit north-america.bairdynamic.com.
And by Vocal Booth To Go carries a complete line of products and accessories specifically designed for voiceover actors, audio professionals, podcasters, producers, and studio owners to help them get professional results for their clients. It's your go-to place for sound treatment, soundproofing, portable, and mobile vocal booths. Visit VocalBoothToGo.com for more information. And Oralex Acoustics has one mission, to make you sound your best. Thousands of satisfied Oralex customers have experienced improved acoustics, along with free expert advice, total sound control products from Oralex. Enjoy widespread use among prominent artists, producers, engineers, and corporations worldwide. Remember, it's not your gear, it's the room. Visit Oralex.com for more information. And great audio starts with great gear. And Zoom's 30-year reputation promises quality and affordability. Visit zoom-na.com today for recorders, audio interfaces, effects pedals, and more. We're Zoom, and we're for creators.